0: it is Thursday afternoon thanks so much for spending part of your day with me in for Rob Breckenridge until tomorrow Rob is back on Monday I'm here until three o'clock this afternoon we have a big show ahead of us and right now I want to talk about this
1: looks of me as if i always the fellow out his window and for me to hear hey buddy how can I get this car?
0: I'm playing that just for my father. Rest in peace. He loved that song. And I was little when he used to play it. And I'm thinking, what is the story of the little Nash Rambler, you know, and the guy in the Cadillac? The reason I'm doing that is because I want to pick up on a topic we tackled yesterday. When it came to the high price of new and used vehicles, you sent me lots of texts. We had lots of phone calls on that one. And a lot of your texts, you talked about how you're holding on to older models because you either can't afford a new vehicle or a used one. You can't find one. Now imagine what things are going to look like mm, 12 years from now when Canada bans the sale of internal combustion engines, new Internal combustion engines in favor of electrical vehicles. Similar bans are in the works right across the globe. Is the push to get us all into EVs happening too fast? My next guest believes it is and even goes so far as to call it an assault on the working class. Joel Kotkin is an author and columnist. He's a presidential fellow in urban futures at Chapman University, Orange, California, also the executive editor of the website newgeography.com. We caught his column in Spiked recently, as well as the nationalpost.com. Joel, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, my pleasure. I have talked about EVs for many years and sure there's a part of me that would love to be able to have an electric vehicle but as we start to get closer to some of these bans and yeah 12 years someone might say Ange that's still a long way out there but as we start to look at what the future is going to look like what's your concern that this is just happening a little too fast? Well first of all it's happening
1: too fast in the sense that I'm all in favor of electric vehicles competing out there in the marketplace. Um, But there are, A, there are numerous alternative technologies we may want to be looking at. Uh, Hydrogen obviously is one. Hybrid engines would get us to where we want to go much quicker without having to have an enormous amount of new mining, um, sometimes very, very um, environmentally destructive mining. I mean, fundamentally, we could deal with the vast majority of the emissions, which we've already reduced enormously, um, by hybrid cars. And the the problem, then, economically, is if you say to people you cannot use an uh, um, internal combustion engine, and, you know, where I live in California, so we'll get there sooner, yeah. um, I mean, what you're going to end up with is two things. People are going to hold on to their cars. The place is going to look like Cuba with with lots of people driving old cars around. Um, and and uh, a lot of people are just not going to be able to afford these, these electric vehicles unless there's some enormous technological breakthrough. I mean, um, and then of course there's the economics. The economics are going to be that they're going to have a lot less auto workers, more and more of the value added is going to come from China. Um, we're probably talking about um, somewhere around 30, maybe as much as 30 to 40% of the workforce will be gone. And we now also know that the new battery plants that are being paid uh, up have pay much, much less than traditional auto jobs. So, so you, you, you seriously hurt the working class, both as a consumer and as a worker. And again, I think we could do this in a much more measured way. And let, let the technologies compete with each other and get to the best point. You know, the, the idea of, you know, gigantic trucks that are going to be incredibly expensive, whether for long hauls and, or even, you know, pickups. Pickups could be 70000 $80,000. I mean, I don't see how that works for most people.
0: And, Joel, I'm glad you stressed the fact that it's not like you're against EVs, but it's just that it seems governments, and not just in North America, we're seeing it around the world, they are almost all in and thinking it has to be on this date, and then we're going to stop the internal combustion engine. And, and that's what I'm hearing from you. It's not so much you're against EVs. It's just that we can't just think this is all or nothing.
1: Well, and I think fundamentally the more you... Go and look at the motivations of the people pushing this. It's really not about everybody's going to have an EV, and you know we're just going to replace one form of transportation with a a, a different uh, power system. They're really talking about. They really don't want people to have cars. This has been in the green and urban planner ideology for at least 50 years, and so the 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 idea would be. You would have cars. Wealthy people would have them. It would be like single-family homes. The great success of, of of capitalism in the in the U.S., Canada, Australia, is that the average person was able to buy a house and have their own car. They had the an independence and autonomy unimagined in previous generations. We're going to go back to a world where basically only the affluent have cars. Um, and only the affluent live in single-family houses. That's really where, um, where the green agenda is going, and EVs and the EV mandates are part of it.
0: And I love the fact that you are a presidential fellow in Urban Futures at Chapman University in California, because you are always kind of looking down the road, pardon the pun, but the role that this push towards electric vehicles, what it will mean to our urban communities.
1: Right. Well, I mean, basically what you're going to be talking about is a the, – the best scenario I could imagine would be some sort of autonomous electric taxis that you would take everywhere. But, you know, that's a long way off. We're a long way from autonomous, which, which means that we're probably talking about um, more and more people um, living much more like their parents and grandparents and, and many and times their great-grandparents. And I think that the environmental movement, if it started to say, here's how we can make things better for people, they would have more support. I mean, you look at the poll data in the US and Africa, two places I've looked at extensively, there's not a lot of support for for changing lifestyles, paying much more money. Everyone wants a clean environment. And of course, you know, uh, people, want to address, you know, climate issues. The question is, how do you address them and who pays for it? And by the way, who benefits? Because, you know, Janet Yellen, uh, the head of the, uh, the Treasury Secretary of the United States, starts talking about what a great opportunity. Yeah, it's a great opportunity. If I'm Elon Musk yes. and I am guaranteed an enormous market and all sorts of, of subsidies, that's great for me. Is it great for for other industries? Is it great for other people? And by the way, we also have this issue of the of the grid. If we go to all electric, where's the electricity coming from? Because the same people pushing for electric vehicles don't want nuclear power, don't want hydro, um, certainly are against natural gas. So the the bottom line is you're going to have a system which is going to demand more electricity, but we're going to produce less electricity. Somehow the mathematics don't work.
0: Well, and as I mentioned, at one i I'm going to be talking about the fact that in Alberta we have one of our politicians tasked with looking at the high price of our power bills. And so ultimately you have to say, okay, then that's going to be the cost of electricity. Where do we manage to get more capacity? So exactly what you're talking about with the electrical grid. And have we seen other places in the world then suddenly saying we're not going to be able to do this? Well,
1: this is really interesting. The political dynamics are, is that in the developing world, you know, I mean, they'll take whatever money we will give them for climate changes, um, but the reality is that um, Africa, Middle East, um, parts of South America are are not signing on to this agenda, um, and um, and then of course um, you have very interesting opposition growing in Europe. You you in Germany, in the Netherlands, in, in France. Um, uh, an increasing level of protest, and it's becoming a big political issue because, you know, as, a, as the Citoyen in uh, in France put it, um, the uh, uh, you know the elites worry about about the uh, about the you know the long term future, and we worry about next month. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's a there's a perspective there, where. It's okay that you know John Kerry can get up there and, 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 and give an interview in his private jet and, tell, and go to his five houses and say, hey, you know what? You need austerity. You need to live in a little apartment. You shouldn't have a car. And, and, and then they wonder why people push back. <laughs> yeah. Jeff Bezos gives $10 billion to, for this agenda and, bought, and builds a $500 million yacht. What, what are we talking about? okay for for you but not okay for me certainly not okay for mr rodriguez who worked his butt off so he could buy a little house in riverside you know i mean it's the 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 views that are being pushed to make life difficult for the working and middle classes by the very wealthy it's it to me it, it it has tremendous political implications um a lot of people, um, I think, are going to have a hard time accepting that they're going to lose their jobs, they're, going to lose, they're not going to be able to buy a house, and their energy bills are, go- are going to go through the roof so that John Kerry and, and Jeff Bezos and the other, you know, um, members of the ruling class, if you will, uh, go and do whatever they want and then chast- chastise us because we have a gas stove. Yeah. I don't know seems a bit strange to me.
0: (laughs) Joel Kotkin is my guest this afternoon, author, columnist. He is the um, executive editor of the website newgeography.com and National Post just recently republished one of his columns from Spiked. We are just talking about the implication of electric vehicles. And again, because I know some people will be listening saying, yes, we should forget about this altogether. I I, I don't want to have the argument about climate change isn't real. I don't want to have that argument. I just want to talk about the pace and how we go about doing this. Because even as you pointed out, the major car makers recognize that they've got to make changes. But they just think that there should be some other options out there than strictly electric vehicles.
1: Right. And, and of course, you know, you're seeing that opposition building in places like Japan and Germany uh, that create um, cars. And the United Auto Workers, which represents workers both in Canada and the United States, um, the, the the auto workers are withholding their endorsement of Biden. I mean, we could, but, but nobody sits down and says, OK, if we, let's say if we made a, a, a um, mandate that every car has to be electric or a hybrid um, or a low emissions vehicle by 2035. Let the technologies battle it out mm-hmm. for what works better. Once you get, you know, the, the difference between the EV and the hybrid, you know, it all depends on how many years it's driven. And then, of course, the big difference is the, 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 um, the EVs like Tesla and, and, and the ones that are coming out require enormous amounts of raw materials, which, of course, the Greens will not let us mine in Canada and America or Australia. And so what we're going to do is we're going to to turn, um, uh, you know, Indonesia and the Congo into big open pits. I mean, that's a real environmental win, isn't
0: it? Yeah. Uh, I, I guess I want to uh, have a closing thought from you because I think, you know, you're you're talking to us from California. California has been one of those states that has really led this push. But going back to the capacity of any electrical grid, uh, they saw what could happen when it came... Uh, wasn't there even a warning for electric vehicle yes. owners in California?
1: Right, and and at a time when the... EVs were a much smaller part of the popu- uh, population. The average EV buyer by the way has an income of about 150,000 a year. Oh, um, yeah. So, you know, so the, the bottom line is this. We want to deal with the issues of climate change, but to do it in a sustainable way that works for the society and in the and doesn't just work for a few very wealthy and privileged people. eventually there will be pushback against these policies because people do not want to sign up for a diminished quality of life, particularly when they're being pushed to it by people who are privileged beyond any of our comprehensions.
0: Yeah. Who's delivering that message? Joel, thanks so much for this.
1: Okay, it was my pleasure.
0: Joel Kotkin, author, columnist. You can read his recent column in the nationalpost.com or Spiked. Coming up after the break, we'd love to hear from you. I I mean, I, as I say, I, I do believe there is a place for electric vehicles. And I've told you over the years that I, I'll never be able to afford one until they start to go down in price. Will they go down in price if it's a matter of this is when you're going to stop seeing the internal combustion engine there has to be, I don't want to use the word, the capital T transition word, but I hope within the next 12 years, we're start, starting to see a way of uh, cheaper electric vehicles, but still understanding, Joel had a great point, a hybrid vehicle, having a mixture of it, using hydrogen, other, other ideas that have to be out there. Would love to hear your thoughts.
1: Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter at Rob Breckenridge. And you can email me, rob at 770chqr.com. Talk to you next time.